Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who can hear the sound of my voice. You have tuned in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. And this week, you know I say it all the time, I have a fantastic guest who is willing to share their story and their journey so that you can learn how to find the steps that you need to take. Small steps, remember, small steps consistently done over time. That's how we achieve amazing results. William Adams, how are you this morning? As I say almost every morning, I am alive and I'm happy I woke up alive. (laughs) (laughs) And and the journey begins from there, right? The journey begins from there. It's like, oh, new day, new step. Let's go. Go, go, go. So you're in the tech industry. You know, you've been in the tech industry a long, long time. You're working for Microsoft. Tell me about your journey on that, because you're not like you don't your aspirations. And when we talked before, you're really not about being the CEO, but you really are thinking about being impactful. Tell me about your journey. Yeah, I well, my journey begins when I was 12 years old. I, I got my first personal computer from my uncle and I learned, I taught myself how to program. And I'm 56 now, so I've been programming for a long time. <laughs> so, and throughout those years, I've, I've just always been into tech for whatever reason, that's just the way I'm built. So I've always been playing with computers, programming, electronics, electrical engineering. So I I did a number of years from about 1984. My brother and I ran a company together doing software development. And that that was fun in the the heyday of the, the birth of the personal computer era, 80s, 90s. And eventually I I found my way to Microsoft because I had a friend who said, hey, we're doing this new technology, why don't you come join Microsoft? And I had just had a daughter and, you know, building the family. It's like, ah, it's time to go get a salary and and (laughs) leave these starvation wages behind, you know? And so I joined Microsoft. And initially, you know, I've always been an engineer, always writing code. And Microsoft was a newish kind of thing because it wasn't just the code. It was also large teams and being an engineering manager, which I slipped into pretty quickly and building a business that's pretty big, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you think back to 98, and I I joined Microsoft because at that time they were under scrutiny by the Department of Justice. Like, oh, we're going to break you up. You're a monopoly. You know, all the same stuff you see today. Yep. And I think we were were nearing or already in a recession and that was the dot-com bubble and all that. And I thought, that's an opportunity because either they're going down in flames or they're going to rise up like a phoenix and either way, it's going to be a wild ride. So I'm going there. <laughs> so that's that's how I got into Microsoft. There's a couple nuggets in that, right? So it almost sounds like you you have uh, somewhere in your you know growing up years this idea of being your own person and not so much adventure, but you you doesn't doesn't sound to me like you are deterred by change. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. For 
Uh, somehow I, I landed on a particular track and through all distractions, yeah, I just stayed on that track. I can't say it's because of some rugged determinism. I would say it's because I was shy mm-hmm. and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. You know, like I would be that kid. I did sports and all that sort of stuff. But I was that kid that was sitting at home with my chemistry set or my electronics kit or, you know, tearing apart the radio or, you know, I was I was doing all that stuff while the other kids were doing whatever they were doing. And I liked doing that. And I just kept doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. I grew up in a place where the police were regulars and the others over there, they're doing drugs and those kids are in gangbangers and all, you know, I grew up in that place and our mom moved us out of that particular environment when I was 10. But the usual path for people like that was, well, you're going to end up in jail or dead. But I didn't, I did sports, you know, mom kept us busy with sports and you better do your homework and all that sort of stuff. And I just really liked doing the computer thing because typical nerd, introvert fashion, I could control what the computer did. Mm-hmm. That was a responsive friend, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it was a natural thing for me to keep gravitating towards that. And I okay. just did. Right. Yeah. There's a perception that tech in general is not an open place for African-Americans and mm-hmm. women. And so every now and then, sometimes more, more likely than not, you hear this whole thing of, well, you know, that they don't have the opportunity. It's kind of a closed society. It's who you know that gets you into that. And yet you've done well. And yeah. in our off conversations, you've talked about helping others get in and do well. Yeah. How and do you overcome those prevailing messages that say you can't to be able to do what you really love to do? I think the... Perhaps one of the keys is to not turn a blind eye to the realities of the obstructions. Mm-hmm. There are obstructions, mm-hmm. you know, and my journey over the last 40 years in tech is perhaps similar to the journey that my parents had as they went through the civil rights era and tried to find their place in the world and be accepted or whatever, even forget accepted, just <laughs> allowed to work, Yeah, you know. So when I started in tech as a young man, the only real path I had, I mean, I went to UC Berkeley and I could have gotten a job at Sun Microsystems or any of those places in Silicon Valley that existed at the time, probably without much effort, but I didn't go that path. My brother and I created our own business. And at that time, we were kind of unique. There were not other Black-owned tech companies in Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley. Mm -hmm. And my brother tells an experience he had where, you know, we're looking for VC money here and there. And someone told him, like, we will never give money to people like you. Mm-hmm. You know, people like you. What do you mean? You mean tall, handsome people like us? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Why not? I'm, I'm too pretty for your money. And we actually had a bank who said, no, we're not even going to allow you to open an account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, but we're not asking for a loan. We just want to park our money. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you know, businesses fail. We don't, we're not going to let you do that. So there's obstructions. Things have changed dramatically over the years and they haven't, right? I would say it's easier to get into tech today because tech is everything. Mm-hmm. Tech is not just Microsoft. Well, it used to be like IBM, but it's not Microsoft, Google, Facebook. It's like any company you want to work for, tech is part of it, right? It's just the way the world is now. You, mm-hmm. can't, you can't avoid it. 
the barriers to entry in terms of programming are way different than when I started. When I started, even at Microsoft 24 years ago, you had to be like, if you can't debug the Windows kernel, you know, we don't want you. Mm-hmm. Like those days are long gone. It's like JavaScript, you know, we got to put up a UI, a web page developers, this sort of thing. Back then, 24 years ago, we would have looked at those people and said, they, those aren't programmers. I don't know what they are, but they're not programmers. <laughs> It's like, well, that's that's completely gone now. Now those people mm-hmm. rule the roost because everything's a web page. Right? Mm-hmm. So things have changed. Some of the barriers, the barriers are more institutional. And you see this common terminology is glass ceilings, right? It's like, yeah. yeah, I got in and I've been here for a while, but why am I not getting that promotion? Mm-hmm. Right? That still exists. Mm-hmm. And it exists across many axes, whether it's women, minority you're not from the West Coast or you're not from the East Coast. There's always barriers like that. And you just scratch your head and go, why am I not? Why is this not happening for me? Right. And you have to be aware of that sort of thing. And you have to be nimble enough to recognize when that's happening and make moves to counter that kind of thing. Right. Like what? What did you do? Well, I'll give you one example is I was when I first joined the company, I joined a, a group working on this thing called XML. And I was just a dev, and but I was experienced. I had my own company, you know, I was VP of engineering. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there was a there was uh, some leadership shuffles going on there. And I stood up and said, I'm going to, you know, we got to run this thing ourselves because these leaders keep coming and going. We got to run our own thing. And I did that through three or four different leaders who were put above us who came and went within a year. Yeah. And at one point, there was a leader put above us who was formerly a peer of mine in a different group. And it was the first time that this guy was just into our stuff. He was, I would characterize him as a micromanager mm-hmm. from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Really struggled with this guy because it's like I was used to running our group, you know. Yeah. And here he was, tell me about this, tell me about this. He wants to be in on everything. I'm like, what? Is- you're going to be gone in six months. Why do you want to know everything? <laughs> you know, and I really struggled with this because it's like, clearly, you know, it's like, oh, no, don't fight in front of the children. And at some point I came to the conclusion, it's like, well, he's the boss. No matter that I built this team, mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. is in fact the boss for purposes of non-acrimony. I need to acquiesce and let him run the group how he wants to run the group. Okay. Right. And I could have, the lesson I learned from that, I had a friend that I just constantly complained to. And she told me at one point, she said, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Right. I hear you whining. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and that was just an epiphany. It's like, yeah, what am I whining for? I Okay, going back to the learning. This is before I sat at the beach and figured out that everything is about learning. Right. I just told myself, it's like, all right, he's not the last micromanager you're ever going to run across. Right. So learn from this experience and recognize that with this kind of person, you need to over-communicate so that they'll be more relaxed. Right. Right. So I, I learned that. And at the same time, I made a decision. I said, well, I need to leave this group because this is not going to be favorable to my career growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can learn all that I can, but this has played out. I need to choose to do something different Mm -hmm. so that I proactively am doing something for myself and not letting something happen to me. Right. Right. And this is a key. And this is what I've done repeatedly. 
And this is why I've been there 24 years, because I'm always actively reading what's going on. And we've had purges over the years, mm-hmm. you know, where we've gotten rid of it was like, oh, well, the economy's bad. We're going to get rid of a thousand people. Right. You know, it's like, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one coming and I'm over there where it's really important to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So how did you, I mean, it sounds like you were not just looking at what was happening from the outside of the organization, but you're actually reading what was going on in the inside of the organization and figuring out, wait a minute, that group over there is moving right. I need to move over there. How did you, I mean, did you just go over to the leader and say, hey, I'm the person you need? And yeah, how did you build that relationship that they would go, you know what, William, I want you over here. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I did early on. Uh, probably the most important was that the first weeks that I was on the job, I made it a point to go out and meet random people in the company. Okay. I literally just either went through the address book or saw people on emails or something and said, I'm going to go meet that person. 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm just typing up emails. I don't care if you're a VP or a line engineer, whatever. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm new to the company. I'm just trying to meet people. You know, I'd like to come chat with you for 30 minutes. People said, okay. So that's the first thing I did was I built a network early on. And some of those people I still know today if they haven't Mm -hmm. left the company. And you make subsequent connections after that because it's like, oh, yeah, we chat for 30 minutes. And now we're talking about some business thing, Right. right? So I did that. That was first and foremost is work my network. And this is advice I give to anybody new to the company is I work your network mm-hmm. from day one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was just being not afraid to reach out to people. So here's an example. When I was in this job that I eventually had to kick myself out of, yep. I had done some work while I was in that job. I had done some work to help define what the engineering roles were, like what is a level 63 software engineer was a little, was an architect, all this sort of stuff. And I'd worked with a group of people that were not in my group. They were in some other area. And as I was considering leaving my group, I thought of, hey, I worked with those people before. Why don't I reach out to them? Mm-hmm. Because I think I do want to, I want to teach engineers how to be engineers for a while. So I reached out to them and said, hey, we've worked on this stuff before. I'd like to do what you're doing in terms of teaching engineers. Can I join your group? And it's like, yeah. So I didn't have to cold call. Mm-hmm. Um, cold calling is, you know, you don't know anybody and you just right. send it, you're replying to a job description, right? And they don't mm-hmm. know you. And it's like, okay, it's just a regular interview. You're, I don't know you from Adam. Right, <laughs> right, right. But since I had this connection, they're like, yeah, okay, we know you. So there wasn't much of an interview. I mean, I did a full interview. but Right, right, right. They already but wanted, there was already a connection there. It, already so it made it easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a... No matter what you're doing, whether it's an internal transfer or you're going off to some other company, it's always best if you know somebody. And it's it's not the insider like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to get anyone unless you know someone. But it's it certainly helps. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, the prevailing conversation is always, you know, you wait for the application, you then fill out the application and then you go to then you start looking for people, you know, in that particular company. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I tell folks all the time is you need to look for a job when you don't need a job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the and that's the idea of you're in an industry, you know, either you love it or you don't. If you don't love it, get in a different industry or different yep. kind of function or whatever. But it is taking that idea that you talk about of your goal in life period is to meet people. 
and and to get to know people and to have people get to know you because there's nothing worse than trying to find a job when you need a job right (laughs) there's there's just not any way and so you need we need to and we live in a time when you know companies use people to write their balance sheets yeah and it had you can work as hard as you want no fault of your own yep and tomorrow you're out of a job and now you're trying to find a job and so taking care of your career is really about this idea of it starts with this idea of networking and being yep. able to talk to people who aren't like you. And that leads me into, you know, you've traveled a lot and <laughs> you've been in situations where, you know, you don't know anybody, you you're yeah. in a different culture. You know, we talked about, you know, there are many people who, if they go to China or India or South Africa or any place in the world outside of some of them, New York to Charlotte, North Carolina, where mm-hmm. I live, is considered a foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> but you you've been able to thrive and do okay. How do you do that? I mean, what's what advice would you give to people who and why is it important to just kind of get out of your own shell? Yeah, I think it comes down to mindset. And it's perhaps cliche to to at this point say growth mindset, but it really is a, a mindset. You have to be accepting of I'm here, I'm in this situation, this is what it is. And then tomorrow you're in a different place. I'm now here. And I used to say this every time I would travel with my family, we go on an airplane or something like that. And the first thing we say when we get off the plane is, and now we're here. <laughs> right. And what we're saying by doing that not is not just, oh, the, the plane arrived and here's the gate and we finally got here. It's it's a shift of the mind to say, we are now in this culture. Mm-hmm. There are no McDonald's hamburgers. Not that we eat that, but there, there's no McDonald's. What's here is tandoori chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, they don't they don't have pastries like they used to. They have Indian sweets. Mm-hmm. Now adjust your taste buds to that reality. Yeah, you know, don't try to carry McDonald's everywhere, even though it's all over the world. So that's a that's the key thing for me is just having an open mindset where I can say, yes, I have experiences. Now I'll tell you, it's it's not easy. So when I went to India, for example, I literally left everything behind here in the U.S., gave away all my books, which I had <laughs> hundreds of tech books for that I had accumulated over twenty years. Gave away all my books, gave away all my power tools, you know, my whole garage of woodworking tools and sold my house to my (laughs) ex-wife. I literally went to India with nothing more than a backpack. Oh, my goodness. That's it. So then you got to tell the whole story of that, why you chose to do that and then what you got to it. Okay, because most people aren't going to leave. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to India because they wanted me to help them develop their engineering workforce. They were the office was relatively new. They had less than a thousand people at that point, and they were growing fast. And they, I did a visit, and they said, "We really want you to come and help us do the following. We have this problem, for example, that college hires they come in in the summer, and within a year they're gone because mm-hmm. someone poaches them away, pays them a little bit more, and they're out of here." And that's a problem, right? Revolving door. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, the problem. So I got in, I, I did stuff to, to change that. And for three years, it's like no one left. But I, I so I was going to India, right? It's like, I'm going to live there. I decided it was be either India or China. 
and it, and the India guys were more compelling. Okay. <laughs> so I, okay. So I said, all right, India it is. So I'm I'm gonna go to India, and it's like, all right. I, I think it was 40, so it's like right at the beginning of midlife crisis and everything. So this is the time where I sat at the beach in Hawaii and said, "What's my life about?" Mm-hmm. Right. And I came up with my, I thought I need words to live by if I'm going to make this journey. Cause I've never lived outside the U S I need, I need a, a creed, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I came up with, well, how about a life creed? So L learning mm-hmm. life is about learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I intentional. I need to live with intention and not be blown by the wind. I need to have my own compass, right? Mm-hmm. F is fearless. Not reckless, but I'm not afraid of anything because everything is about learning, mm-hmm. right? No matter how horrible it is, even seeing people starving on the streets with half a limb cut off, mm-hmm. well, there's something to learn. How do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. You're going to learn about yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're going to yeah, learn about yeah, society yeah. and all this, you know, and E is for empathy. Mm-hmm. I do not want to go and become a hermit living in a cave somewhere and become self-actualized. Who cares? You're not connected to anyone else. Right. So empathy keeps you connected to the people around you so that as you're learning and experiencing and growing, you're sharing it, right? You're not just mm-hmm. in isolation. So I sat down, I had this life creed. So then when I went off to India, it's like, I'm awake. My eyes are open, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm one with, I'm ready to absorb whatever's coming. Right. Right. So I went there and it's like, all right, let me test this out. Let me go naked. Right. And that means get rid of all the trappings of what you've built up over the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. Let me go naked and see who I really am. What religion am I really? Mm -hmm. What is my culture? Do I even have a culture? Yeah. I'm black. Well, everyone here is pretty dark brown. So what does that mean? <laughs> right. They all think you're from Africa. So because they've never seen a black man from America. Right. <laughs> the only people right. that come from America are white. Right. So it's like, well, and, you know, so I'm naked. I was like, all right, now walk across that street. It's like, are you kidding? I'm going to die if I walk across that street. Have right. you ever seen the traffic in India? <laughs> right. It's like, oh, no, thank you. So I went naked because I wanted to test who I am. And when you go into an environment like that, you can't fall back on anything. You can't show up and go, look at the car I'm driving. That's who I am. Come Mm -hmm. on over to my house. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. Come on, come to the church with me. You'll see who I am. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, none of that's gone. So who are you? Mm -hmm. Now you're naked. So you have to really redefine yourself or define yourself for the first time and say, this is who I am without all the trappings. Because when you die, you don't have all the trappings. You're dead. So who are you? Right. Mm -hmm. So I defined who I am through my life creed. And I said, well, I don't know who I am, but this is how I am. Mm -hmm. Life creed. Now let's try it out and see what starts to attach to me and what's universal between when I go from India back to the U.S., what comes with me. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how I did it. That's why I went naked and just literally a backpack. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I, I, I still have it. I think it's upstairs. I still have my backpack. That like yeah. little thing. It's like, yep, I'm with you, my brother. <laughs> you <need> my backpack. <laughs> That's who I am. I, I'm, I'm Eagle Creek backpack. That's who I am. <laughs> Trekking in India, right? Yes. Yes. So, you know, we talked about this Caribbean story. 
<laughs> oh, yes. Give <laughs> so, up the Caribbean story. <laughs> all right. So let me fast forward. So India was uh, 2006, 2009-ish. I came back to the U.S. and have worked on various things. One of the things I worked on was the creation of this program called LEAP. And sorry, I'll get to the Caribbean, but we got to go through a couple steps to get there. Okay. All right. Um, LEAP is a program that uh, was started in 2015 to hire women and minorities into the company because I, at that time, kind of looked around and said, you know, I've been here some 20 odd years and these numbers have not changed. Mm-hmm. Right. This is pathetic. We need to do something about it for real. And I looked around and it's like, well, what do we have? Well, we got a bunch of feel good programs. They're spending a lot of money for pipeline, but we're not hiring anybody. Mm-hmm. Why? Oh, there, there's not enough qualified and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. Because you're not looking in the right places. So let's right. go look in the right places. Where are right. women? Where are the minorities? Right. Well, right now they're at coding academies. It's 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't recruit from coding academies. You know, I mean, that's, we recruit from the top 15 colleges and that's about it. And that's the same for every tech giant, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, let's go. Do you realize that there's a bunch of women there? And they're career changers and they have CS degrees in some cases because they stopped to raise kids mm-hmm. and they have no path back. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's go create a path back. And some of them are career switchers and some of them just came from a college that we just don't recruit from. Right. Especially if you're a minority. Right. Mm-hmm. So we just created a program to have those people have a, a three month long apprenticeship, if you will. And then get hired. And Mm -hmm. it was really about changing the hearts and minds of the hiring managers so that they could look at people different. And that program exists today. And it's now owned by the HR department and department. They're large. They're not a department. They're a division. So Mm -hmm. it's owned by HR. It's federally accredited. We, you know, go through hundreds of people a year. It's all over the world. Oh, yeah. While I was doing that, we also decided that we needed to go to Africa mm-hmm. because I looked at the continent of Africa and it was it was brought to my attention that we had no engineering there. And I said, well, that's silly because there's, <laughs> there's, there's 1.2 billion people in that continent. And my company badge says empower every person on the planet to achieve more. How do you do that if you're not even doing engineering over there? And Africa's big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a it's like a third of the planet mm-hmm. <laughs> landmass. So how can you not be there? So we just decided it's like we're going there. We're going to set up engineering. And I actually hired engineers in Kenya to get things started. And now we actually have a nah, at least two or three hundred engineers in Kenya and Nigeria. And now the whole company is like Africa. That's the future. Yeah, that's the growth area. You know, we got to be in Africa. And it's like yeah. So then I, now the Caribbean, within the past year, I kind of cast my eye on the Caribbean. My brother actually works on St. Croix right now. So he's for years, he's been like, oh man, you got it. You should, Mike should be in the Caribbean. I was like, leave me alone. That's where you go vacation. Leave me alone. (laughs) But then it's like, all right. Oh, the Caribbean is 40 million people, black and brown skin from various parts of the world, mostly Africa huh, let's go do that. Okay. Right? So U.S. Virgin Islands, which is really easy to get to because it's part of the U.S., so you don't even need a passport. So it's really easy. 
And it turns out they have fiber optics wired throughout those islands. The the U.S. Virgin Islands has fiber optics on all three (laughs) islands, St. John, St. Croix, St. Thomas. Fiber optics, like, who knew? (laughs) Because we've never been there. You've never been there. You've been on the ship. Yes. You've been in the shopping center where they wanted you to shop. You've been to the beach. And then you went back to the ship. Right. You don't know what's going on on that island. It's like yeah. they're wired to the gills with fiber optics. <laughs> Better than the U.S. <laughs> yes. And and their fiber optics, when the hurricanes roll through, I mean, this stuff was designed by the Army Corps of Engineers. The hurricanes roll through and like, all right, you want your bits? I got your web page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the phone systems went down. The electric grid went down, but not the fiber optic network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They only went down because they ran out of fuel. But other than that, they're like, yeah, there's a hey, hurricane. I, <laughs> and they plan for it because they know they it's plan coming, for it. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, so cream, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got you gotta help me because as people are listening to this story, which is truly incredible, I think the thing, the question that people would come up with is wait a minute, you just went and started talking to people about we need to be here it. and change their hearts and minds to to finally do it. It didn't yeah. happen overnight, did it? It almost did. So Africa was very interesting and, and the Caribbean is kind of the same way. So Africa, now, okay, hold on. Let me let me take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Africa and even the creation of the LEAP program happened because I had some engineering successes at the company. So I had credibility. Okay. Right? I delivered engineering. I delivered product. And I've had leaders who are like, you're crazy, but we trust you because you deliver. Right. So you have to be excellent at what you do. Okay. You know, before you ask about well, what do people need to do? It's like, well, you have to be in the mindset and you have to just be excellent at what you do. You can't be complaining like, oh, they didn't give me my shots. I forget all that. You have to be excellent at what you do. You have to hone your craft. Mm-hmm. You have to be awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. So I've got this, the cred. And I've got a Rolodex because I built a network over time. Mm-hmm. So when I go to people and say, hey, look, I'm doing this new program called Leap. We're going to hire some women and minorities. Can I put you down for five? <laughs> right? Got to ask the question. You get My aunt taught me this. She used to work in IBM sales. Like you have to ask for this, the sale, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't ask, you don't get. So mm-hmm. you got to ask, can I put you down for five? And they go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I can't ignore you because I know you and you got street cred and all right, I'm down for five. So uh, in getting to Africa, I went to Africa, I had various meetings, customers, our salespeople, all sorts of stuff. And we were sitting at a table in a conference room, ranged with, you know, various people. And, and they're all kind of back and forth, back and forth. And the sales guy is like, we're tired of you guys showing up on your junkets and saying you're going to do something. And then you leave and nothing happens. Mm. And I'm just kind of leaning back this whole time. You know, it's like, okay, listening, listening. And I just kind of lean in. I'm going to go back to Redmond and I'm going to hire four engineers and they'll be here in February. Like, I didn't want to argue. I don't want to say, yes, I am. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I said, this is what I'm going to do. That's all I said. And I didn't try to justify the past and what people had or had not done or anything. I just, this is what I'm going to do. Right. So I, and I knew I could. Right. Right. (laughs) I went, I went back. I had money. So mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to hire, we're going to find this one person, and then we're going to build around her. Mm-hmm. So we hired the one engineer, and then we hired three more. I had convinced our Microsoft research and our office team 
to do similar. It's like, look, I'm doing this thing in Africa. I think you should join. Right. And again, it's back to the credibility. It's like, yeah, well, if you're doing it, we know you're not crazy and we know you deliver. So I, I'm going to try too. Okay. Right. Right. So now suddenly we're hiring 12 people. Mm-hmm. And for a year, they did stuff. They delivered some code and, and stuff. And we learned how to pay them and where to find them and how to train them and what level they were at and all that sort of stuff. And then came the big guns. Here comes Windows. We got it from here, young man. Here comes the rest of Office. Here comes our identity division. And now suddenly Africa's a thing because we cracked the, the surface on it. Yes. And they said, I guess it did work. We even did a video where I kind of shamed us into it. I, I said the same thing I said here earlier, which is our badge says empower every person on the planet on the planet. You can't ignore 1.2 billion of them and claim this is our mission. Right. You know, Africa doesn't need us. We need Africa. Right, 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 right. And that was enough for people to finally go, okay, I guess he proved that it can be done. So I guess we're in. And one critical thing about that is we said, you cannot brain drain people out of here. Mm -hmm. You must hire in place. We are Mm -hmm. going to build a development center right here, Mm -hmm. right? And then it just came to pass. The Caribbean, so now when I get to the Caribbean, which has only happened over the last nine months, Mm -hmm. it's a similar story. But now I can say, I can now tap people and say, you you know what I did in Africa. Right. Same playbook, but in the Caribbean. Right. And they're like, okay, I get it. Okay. We know you're good. Right. So I guess here we go. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Right. So now I've got enough credibility in this whole hey, we're going to go to this new place thing that people even seek me out and say, oh, we want to set up an office in such and such a place. You seem to be the expert at doing that. Help us out. It's like, mm-hmm. sure. Right? So that's that's the formula, right? It's like you have to have credibility. You have to have a deep passion for it. When I set up the LEAP program, and it wasn't just me. I had a partner in HR and another woman who actually came for the, through the first cohort you have to have a passion for what a, a conviction is yeah. that word. Yeah. Because there's plenty of detractors. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people who are going to say you can't, mm-hmm. or that's not in line with a corporate whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. There's plenty of detractors. And you, and on those days when you're questioning, am I ever going to get a raise again? You know, why am I doing this? The company said they want to do this whole diversity thing. Why aren't they backing this? More? Right, right. You have to be able to say, I'm not going to walk away. Mm -hmm. This is so important. And this moment is so critical that I'm going to keep going, even though it might be a career limiting move, Mm -hmm. because that's how important this is. I am convicted about this thing. Yeah. Now that might fly in the face of the self-preservation rule. (laughs) Right, right, right. But you can, you can get a sense for when you're over the line and you're about to get kicked out. Right. Right. And I wasn't, you know, they're not going to fire me for trying to hire women and minorities. Not right then. I mean, that would be kind of suicide for them. So, but you have to be convicted enough to say, I am right. Mm -hmm. Even in the face of all these people around here who claim to be into this mission, I'm right. Right. And I'm convicted about it. I'm as right as anyone else. Right. (laughs) Right. And we're all addicted to right. So. 
That's yeah. just kind of the leg of the land in my book, because everybody thinks their position is right. We're yeah. all addicted to our position. Therefore, yeah. you know, it's really about what you said. How convicted, how convicted are, you are you of committed and convicted about, you know, I'm going to I'm going to work this one step at a time yeah. and through working it one step at a time, I'm going to figure it out. But it's also, I think, the, the biggest piece that I think my audience really ought to take away. If you don't take anything else away from this conversation. I think you, the idea of, first of all, knowing yourself, so yes. your life creed, yes. you, you got you to gotta know yourself naked. I love that quote, you know? Yeah. And then the other side of it is, is that, you know, you have to be convicted and convinced that the only way you can have success is either is through knowing other people and getting to know them, but also being good at what you do. Yeah. Do what you say you do and that, yeah. and let that stand, even when people fight you on that. When people say you're wrong, people say, you know, they try to steal your idea. Oh, that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what is the saying? Innovation has a thousand mothers. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Once yes. it was successful, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we were there from the beginning. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you were get... there with a knife in my back. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't, you really have to. And I think when you're talking about this conviction expertise network, when you're talking about that and being naked, it's really not about the only end result you're looking for is the one you're convicted to do. Yeah. You know, not the it's about me. It's about my car. It's right. about my title. It's about it's this is the right thing to do. And I'm yeah. going to figure out a way to make it done. Exactly. And in, in all of this, like I said, some of it is career limiting moves. My peers are the people running the company now, the head of Azure is someone who was my peer, you know, 20 years ago, a couple of other VPs, same thing. I'm not in that position. And that's not what I strive for. What I strive for is uh, having an impact, as you said very early on. My mission is to have an impact on society, not mm -hmm. to accumulate a bunch of dollars. I'm not going to throw away the money because they pay me well, you know, mm -hmm. but that's, that's not my focus. My focus is my impact on humanity. And I've been able to do that from the positions that I sit in and the things that I choose to take on. So, yeah, you're right. It's like, what are you convicted about? If you're convicted about getting a certain title, you'll get that title. If mm -hmm. you're convicted about money, you'll get money. If you're convicted about the prosperity of humanity, then that's what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, guys, you know, this is the end of this podcast. How can they get a hold of you, William, if they want to pick your brain? And make a new friend. William-A-Adams.com website. And it's got a couple of links on it right now, but there'll be more, you know, like, oh, here I am on LinkedIn. Here I am on Twitter, that sort of thing. Okay. Very cool. Guys, you heard it. And you know what I always say, if you like the conversation, share it. If you didn't like the conversation, share it. Because I guarantee <laughs> if nothing else, you're going to get a conversation that delivers new results for you. And with that, it's a wrap. See ya. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. 
Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.